Good morning. Happy Easter. It's great to see you this morning. Glad that you're here and that you're worshiping uh, with us. If you are still uh, trying to find a seat, we do have about 10, 15 seats over here on my left. If you're brave enough to come all the way down, the price is right. So we had a sunrise service this morning out at Security Service Field. It was a great time together, a nice warm weather, great way to start the morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, and when you found John 11, also John chapter 20, put a finger in John 20, and then finally, 1 Corinthians 15. John 11, John 20, and then also 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at three tombs this morning. Lazarus, Jesus, and mine. Those three tombs. Three tombs, three graves, one message, and that's that Christ is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you gave your life, that you died and rose again. We come to look to you, to celebrate you, to encounter you. We know that you're with us this morning. We ask that you would speak to our hearts what we individually need to hear. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place. Pray that you'd set me aside and give me grace and strength and clarity in teaching your word. Father, would you break through the distractions in our lives, the noise in our lives, and allow us to hear your heart. And We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. The grave is brutal. I think there's no denying it. It's almost beyond words. Yesterday afternoon, just before the Saturday night service, we decided to watch an extreme home makeover. And the story of this family was the teenage daughter died on her way to school while driving and texting. And it broke my heart. As a dad, I couldn't imagine that moment. The parents were the ones that found their daughter dead on the side of the road. She didn't arrive to school, so they went and looked for her. And it hit me once again about how brutal the grave is. It doesn't give warning a lot of times. Not only is it brutal, but it's also final. In this life, there's no changing it. No matter how much we would want to bring a loved one back or have one more conversation, there's just something that I would like to say, I can't say it, it's done, it's final. Also, the grave is certain. There's no denying that. Maybe on the back of your head, there's stamped an expiration date by God. We don't know what that expiration date is, but God knows. There's going to be a point where we will come to our grave as well. But the good news about the grave, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the grave is also conquered. The grave doesn't have the final word. It's an opportunity for us to look at three scenarios, three graves, three tombs, where Jesus brought life where there is death. And I would invite you to go to these three locations, to do your best to imagine what was taking place at the tomb of Lazarus, also at the tomb of Jesus, and then eventually at your grave as well. So we begin in John 11, verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. A certain man, Lazarus, was sick. This is a pretty famous family inside of Scripture. Mary and Martha are well known. Mary for washing the feet of Jesus Christ, anointing the feet of Jesus Christ. Lazarus, their brother, is sick. Do you remember that phone call that we've probably all received of a brother, a parent, 
a husband, a wife, a child, that it's serious. This is a problem. I remember for me, it was four years ago, about this time of year, it was March, my parents were moving from Vancouver, Washington area, just on the other side of the Portland, Oregon, Columbia River, moving to South Denver. I decided to fly out and help them drive halfway across the country here to Colorado. We got a phone call as we were coming into Nampa, Idaho, Boise, Idaho. It was my brother. He said, I got crazy pain in my foot. I need to go to the doctor, to the urgent care. The next thing we know, he's admitted into the hospital and he's got a staph infection. And still thinking, no big deal, you know, a little bit of infection, a few days of antibiotics. I'm sure he'll be just fine. As we're coming into Denver, it's becoming more, more serious. First stop was to go to the hospital. I actually got pulled over going to the hospital. That's another story, but I remember it pretty vividly. <laughs> and the few days begin to progress, and he gets more worse. On top of the staph infection, his kidneys failed. So he needs, needs dialysis. It's coming into the weekend, to our weekend services, to Saturday night and Sunday morning. I'm thinking, well, I'll just teach through the services and then go up there Sunday afternoon. But I found myself Saturday afternoon, I couldn't focus. I couldn't think about anything but being with my brother there in Highlands Ranch in in South Denver. So I called Robert, our assistant pastor, and said, could you teach the weekend services? He said, absolutely. So it's Sunday morning. It's really vivid in my mind. I'm driving up. To, to Denver. And for a pastor, we spend our Sunday mornings here. There's a handful of, of weekends that we take off, but you know, I've been on staff here at RMC. It's been a wonderful ride for 15 years. It's 15 years of Sunday morning right here. So it's very odd to have a Sunday morning off and be driving up the freeway when church is starting. And I noticed all of the churches that you can see from the freeway. Normally, those parking lots are empty when I'm driving to Denver, but they were full. It was, it was service time. Watching my brother get dialysis, he was kind of in a real odd place from all of the pain medication uh, that, that he was on, and it was life-threatening. I found myself very angry when the doctors said, there's nothing more that we can do. I'm like, wait a second, you're the doctor. You, you're telling me there's nothing more that, that you could do? And I had to just put it into the Lord's hands and be still and know that that he was God. And after two to three weeks of kidney infection and kidney failure, my brother's kidneys came back. He made a full recovery. He's doing well. They just had their third child. But in that moment, I can relate with what Mary and Martha were going through. It was serious for Lazarus. You can relate as well. In verse 2, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother's Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. That's the conflict, isn't it? You love Lazarus, but yet he's sick. You love Lazarus, but yet he's dying. You know that God loves you, but yet there's pain. There's difficulty. There's car accidents. There's loss of job. There's loss of loved ones. There's heartbreak in relationships. God, you love me, but yet you're allowing death in my life. When Jesus heard that, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. How confusing this would have been to Mary and Martha and the disciples because Lazarus did die. They didn't see, they didn't understand the resurrection that was gonna happen for for Lazarus, and Jesus assures them, this is being done for the glory of God. 
Part of the resurrection of Christ is we can trust in the midst of our circumstances that God's doing something bigger than us. He's declaring his glory through the challenges of life. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. This is before text message, before Facebook, before cell phones. It took a while for the messengers to get there. It took now time for Jesus to travel. Time is very important, but he waits. He waits for two more days. What in the world is he waiting for? By the time he gets there, Lazarus is going to be dead for four days. God's timing is not our timing. Many times he waits. God, what are you doing? You need to come right now. You need to respond right now. If, if you love me, if you're aware of what's going on in my life, you would move, but oftentimes God waits. His timing is difficult to understand. Jump with me to verse 17. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been dead in the tomb four days. This is part of God's plan. He wants to show his power over death. It would have been amazing if he raised Lazarus from the dead five minutes after he died. But to wait four days, the decay process would have already began, and he's showing that he can create life, that he can bring back the flesh, restore the decay, the rot that had taken place in Lazarus's body. Verse 18, now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. This is close to the crucifixion of Christ. Jerusalem was a hot spot. It was an unsafe place for Jesus to go. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. I'm asking you to go a little deeper this morning. I want you to go to that memorial service, that funeral of a loved one, as a difficult place as that is to go, and you picture the scene of comfort, don't you? You picture the scene of family and friends. Usually there's some food after a funeral and a, and a memorial service. So you can see how this group would be gathered around Mary and Martha. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Bring your difficult questions to the Lord. Is Christ risen? Absolutely. If he's risen, then he wants to be involved in our lives and he can deal with the difficult questions in love and respect, but there's no point hiding it. I'm sure you have some difficult questions in your life. You have some things that you're wondering, God, if you would have been here, this would have been a difficult, different outcome. Oftentimes in tragedy, we begin to replay the, the scenarios. If we would have just done this, if I would have driven my teenage daughter to school this morning, if we wouldn't have gone there, if I would have maybe made these different choices, there would have been this different outcome, and Martha's saying, God, if you would have only have been here. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Mary said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who is to come into the world. Three tombs, one message. Three deaths, Christ brings life. The message is this, Jesus is the resurrection and the life. 
He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Christ is gonna raise Lazarus from the dead to prove and to show that he is the resurrection and the life. This statement, I am, is a statement of deity. Going back to Exodus, Moses encounters God at the burning bush. God is sending him back to Egypt. Moses asks for the name of God. God says, I am that I am. It's a statement of the vast greatness of God. You can't define God. He's beyond any term, the majesty of God. However, in the New Testament, in the Gospel of John, Jesus uses seven I am statements to define himself. He fills in the blank, I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And one of these statements is, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, and he declares, if you believe this, you will never die. You too will conquer death. So Lazarus foreshadows the grave of every believer. And we're gonna come back to this at the end of our service this morning of this question of, do you believe this? Jump down with me to verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. If you take time to read the chapter in more detail, when Christ comes to the tomb, he wept. Why did he weep? And there's been a lot of discussion and commentary on why Christ wept. And some even make this out that Jesus was frustrated with their lack of unbelief. But I don't think that's the case because Christ comes in compassion and mercy. He spends time at the tomb of a friend to show that he knows the pain that it feels. He's weeping because he sees the broken hearts of Mary and Martha. He feels it here. He's groaning. I've been impacted just in the last three days, from Friday, Saturday, now it's Sunday, to hear your stories of the devastation and the loss that that you've gone through, how death has impacted your life personally. I think that Easter especially makes us think about the death of loved ones because we look forward to their ultimate resurrection and you need to know that Jesus weeps for your broken heart. He comes as the good shepherd to comfort and to bring life. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench for he has been dead four days. Martha's saying, Jesus, are you sure you wanna do that? The old King James translates this the best. Martha said, he stinketh. Wives, you can use that on your husband. You stinketh. <laughs> She's concerned. This is before any type of preservation of the body. No cooling, no refrigeration. As soon as Lazarus died, he began to de- decay. Four days is a long time. What are we going to find when we open the tomb? Verse 40, Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you believe God, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now when he had said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It's been said if Jesus didn't call specifically for Lazarus, all of the graves would have been opened that day. That's the power of Christ. Just speaks it. And Lazarus is gonna be raised from the dead. 
And he who had died came out and bound hand and foot with graves cloths and his face was wrapped with cloth and Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. Was the four days a problem for Christ? As Lazarus is raised from the dead? Would it have mattered if it was 40 days? Would it have mattered if it was 400 days? 4,000 years? It wouldn't have mattered. Christ is victorious over the grave. And this is almost humorous. Lazarus comes out of the tomb and he still has the grave cloths. His face is covered. He's all wrapped up. He's like, could I please get some help here? And everybody's, you touch him. (laughs) This is like walking zombies. No, thank you. Now he was alive and they needed to now remove these grave cloths. Points to that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Now turn with me to John 20. We're going to go to the second tomb, the tomb of Jesus. John 20, verse 1, just a few pages in the right in your Bible. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. The first day of the week for the Jews is Sunday. It's still that way. The Sabbath ends, and their Monday is Sunday, so First day of the week is Sunday morning. That's why we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Sunday, Easter morning. Mary Magdalene, a little bit about her, is she was possessed with seven demons until she met Christ. Christ cast out these demons. Talk about going from darkness to life. We look at the pain of Mary and Martha losing a brother, but now we look at the pain of Mary Magdalene burying her Savior. What if Jesus is dead not going to rise again. What does this mean for her? Are the demons going to come back into her life? Is she going to be brought back into bondage? Mary Magdalene was a very special woman. She loved Christ deeply. She was at the cross of Christ, the burial of Christ. Now she's the first to come back with a few other women. Their plan is to put perfume and ointments on the body of Christ. They weren't able to do that properly. She comes and she finds this scene now that the stone has been taken away. It'd be like coming to the grave of your friend and seeing that the grave had been dug up. It had been opened. It would be problematic and troubling to the heart. In verse 2, then she ran and came to Simon Peter, to the other disciple whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. The disciple whom Jesus loved is John. That's always how he referred to himself. Isn't that a wonderful way to refer to yourself to find identity? She shares with these two men. They've taken away Christ. They've rolled away the tomb. They've taken his body. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Don't you love that? John records for all of eternity, I whipped his can. I beat him. These guys grew up together, Peter and John, on the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure there was a wonderful competition between the two of them. So John is there first in verse 5, and he's stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, yet he didn't go in. John is more contemplative. John's the kind of guy that thinks first and acts second. He's methodical. So he's looking at all the information before he goes in. That's not the case with Peter. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth 
lying there. Peter goes right in. Peter acts first and thinks later, and he sees the linen cloth and the handkerchief that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded together in a place by itself. Church, this is one of the reasons that we know Jesus is the Son of God, is because he cleaned up after himself when he left the room, right? He folded it up, put it all in that neat place. If his body was stolen, there probably wouldn't be grave cloths at all. So why are there this grave cloths that are folded and it begins to get Peter and John t- to think and to consider all of this information. Then the other disciple, John, who came to the tomb first, went in also and he saw and believed. And at this moment, John believed the resurrection. For as yet they had not known the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Jesus had told them predicted his own resurrection, but it hadn't sunk into their hearts. It hadn't registered in their lives. Verse 11, but Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping and she wept. She stooped down and looked into the tomb. There's something that we miss about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ if we have a dry eye. If Christ hasn't impacted us and affected us, Peter and John, they're impacted to some level and they go back to their house but Mary stays so this is still a problem for me and she's just weeping and weeping at the tomb and she sees something that the other disciples missed and she saw two angels in white sitting one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain then they said to her woman why are you weeping She said to them, because they've taken away my Lord and I don't know where they've laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and didn't know that it was Jesus. It was common after the resurrection of Christ where the disciples didn't initially recognize Christ until there was an encounter and an interaction. She doesn't realize she's talking to Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She's supposing him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, If you've carried him away, tell me where you've laid him and I will take him away. Oh, the love of Mary. Jesus was probably a strong, buff man. He was a carpenter. How is Mary gonna carry the dead weight of a big, strong man? She's not thinking through the lens of logic. She's declaring her love. Love doesn't calculate all the details and go, can I accomplish this? Love moves from the depths of the heart. This is why you never want to make a mom mad. Doesn't matter if a mom's outgunned or outnumbered. Oh, the terror of a mom, right? And Mary shows this tremendous kind of love for Christ. It touches Christ's heart. And Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, teacher. She recognizes Christ. When he calls her by name, she recognizes his voice. God throughout scripture calls people by name. The resurrected savior calls you by name. He knows you. He knows what's going on in your life. Your joys, your sorrows, your sin, your struggles. He knows what you're thinking about right now. Scary, right? We took all of our thoughts right now and we put them up on the screens. We'd be running for dear life. He knows you. He knows me. He loves us. And he calls us by name. 
Maybe as you came this morning, you really didn't anticipate for God to do a work in your life. Maybe Easter's kind of check off the box, I'll, I'll go, this is my duty, I'll, I'll get it done. Maybe somebody invited you and you decided, okay, I'll go. Maybe you're dating somebody and they invited you to come and you're like, well, I want to get on the right foot and so I'm going to go ahead and, and go. But the most important thing is you're here. But you didn't expect, you didn't anticipate that God would begin to do a work in his heart with your love, with his love. He's the resurrected Savior and he's beginning to speak to you and call you into a relationship with him. And Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I've not ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. There's a lot of things that we could focus on with the resurrection of Christ. But what Jesus says to Mary is don't hold on to me. He's teaching her to relate to him now spiritually and not physically, not in seeing and beholding Christ. And then did you catch the end of verse 17? I'm going to my father and your father and to my God and your God. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when we believe and trust in Christ, brings us into right relationship with God to where now we get to cry out to God, Abba, Father, my God, my father, you're my dad. We don't find in the Old Testament God's people addressing God as father. We get really used to that. But that wasn't the relationship that Israel enjoyed with God. It was one of Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, the power of God, the holiness of God. God set himself apart. One man, one day a year could come into the presence of God. Now the veil of the temple's been torn in two. And the message of the resurrected Savior is he's your father. I've done my job. I've brought you, Mary, into relationship with your dad. (laughs) You're experiencing the glory of your father. What does the resurrection of Christ mean for us personally? Well, it means that we're forgiven. Amen? All of our sin, past, has been paid for. We get to rejoice this morning because the debt has been paid. It also means that Christ is with us presently. Presently. As you go do family and friend gatherings, he's with you. Monday morning when the resurrection is the furthest thing from our minds and we're getting angry in traffic, he's with us. Wednesday afternoon when we're swallowed in bills and the turmoil of life and laundry and groceries, if they would only go away, laundry and groceries, if they would just take a holiday, wouldn't that be nice? He's with you. He's with you right now. We have this assurance, Christ gives it to us. Lo, I'm with you till the ends of the age. Also, the resurrection of Christ means a certain future, an eternal home of being with our Father. Jesus is preparing a place for us. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she'd seen the Lord, that he had spoken these things to her. When we encounter the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, we can't help but go and share Part of the Easter message and the message of the resurrection is church, go and share. When was the last time that you were impacted with the truth of what scripture says about heaven and hell? We were having a great discussion as a a family with our older two daughters and really sensed God moving in it. And our eight-year-old daughter, she really convicted me. Man, kids are really good at that, aren't they? 
As we were talking about heaven and hell and the rapture and all these things, she began to say, Dad, what about this person in our family? Are they going to heaven? If Jesus came back, would they have to go through, through the tribulation? Dad, I want them to go to heaven. What about this person in our lives? Did they know Jesus? And then she began to ask, what can I do? How can I tell people about Jesus? And the faith of a child is it hit her, people are going to hell. People that you know, people that you love, people that you're in relationship for, people that you grew up with, they're going to hell. People in this room that haven't made a decision for Jesus Christ, that's where they're headed unless they turn to Christ for salvation. And a lot of times we live our lives, I live my life, and that's not priority number one. There's a lot of other things that are priority number one And Christ is saying, I'm alive. I died and rose again so that people could be saved. And you get to go and tell. As you go to your family gatherings and friend gatherings today, go and tell. Man, this is what Christ has done for me. What if Mary Magdalene wouldn't have said anything? That's the ultimate friend betrayal. You knew. You knew that Jesus was alive. Well, I wasn't sure how you'd take it. You know, I thought maybe you would think I was crazy or something. She had to go and tell the other disciples. One more tomb, and it's my tomb. It's your tomb, it's your grave, it's your memorial. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. This is what the scripture talks about for the resurrection of every believer. All right, one more grave and tomb to go to and it's the moment that you die it's your last breath I know it's a little bit difficult and it's uncomfortable but we do all think about it so let's just be honest think about your death it's going to happen what preparations have you made have you decided to get cremated have you decided to be buried have you picked out a place that you would like to be buried Have you thought about your memorial service, your funeral? Have you talked about it with anybody, with family, friends, spouse, and said, you know, these are some worship songs that I'd like at my my, my memorial service. I want it to be a party. Let's rejoice. Let's have a good time. I'm in heaven. These are some people that I want to be there. Make sure that these people are there. These are some people that I don't want to be there. (laughs) Please make sure that they do not come, right? What are people going to say? What are they going to talk about? What are they going to get up and and share about our lives? And all of a sudden, there's a clarity, isn't there? What's really important in my life? It's about spending more time at work, getting more work done. Is it about more money, more possessions? All of a sudden, it becomes clear. It's about a relationship with God and a relationship with people. It's loving God and it's loving others. But then as a believer, do you just rot in the ground? Is that it? Are you just food for worms? Or is there promise of something more? Is there an assurance to us because Christ is the resurrection and the life? Absolutely. 1 Corinthians 15. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, 
For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. There's a resurrection for me. This body is going to be raised literally and physically and God is going to give me a glorified body. Christ was the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning I'm going to get a glorified body like Christ. He was the first fruit of more to come. And what are we going to be singing and declaring when we pop up out of the grave as believers? Death is swallowed up in victory. Check out my glorified body. When we're in heaven, look for me. I anticipate having a big, buff, glorified body. <laughs> right? Pastor Eric, yes. How you doing? Right? It'll be nice. All the features that we really don't like about ourselves. You know? It's going to be changed. Corruptible is going to put on incorruption. And we're going to declare this. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. And the strength of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. The reason that we have death is because of our sin. The reason that we're sinners is because of God's requirements, the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Soon as you die as a believer, you go home to be with the Lord. Scripture says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When do we receive our glorified body? At the rapture of the church. The dead in Christ rise first, 1 Thessalonians tells us. So are we waiting up in heaven for a glorified body? Yes, but time's different in heaven. It's much more like an eternal now. I don't think people are like, oh, am I going to get my glorified body? It's bam, I'm with the Lord. Bam, I've received my glorified body. So in light of our future resurrection, this is what we're to do. Verse 58, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Don't give up. Don't stop running. Don't stop serving. Always keep abounding. Some may be at a place where you're saying, you know, I'm not going to deny Christ. I'm not going to stop walking with Christ. I'm just tired of serving. I'm tired of serving my spouse. I'm tired of serving my, sk my kids, known as skids, kids. <laughs> I'm tired of serving my roommates, my coworkers. Tired of serving the body of Christ. God says, this is only temporary. Don't stop laboring in the name of the Lord. Your labor is not in vain. So we've seen three tombs, Lazarus, Jesus, and mine, and one message that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. If you know Christ as your savior in your heart right now, would you just begin to pray? Because I'm gonna give an invitation for people to receive Christ as their savior. This is the most important part of our service. People are deciding on eternity. I wanna take a few moments to really give the gospel and share the gospel. Let's go back to the words of Christ. I'll read it to you. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? What do you believe about Christ? What do you believe about the resurrection of Christ? Do you believe, you personally, 
not somebody else, do you personally believe that Jesus is God, that he died for your sins and rose again? Why would Jesus have to die? Because we're sinners. I'm a sinner and you're a sinner. What is sin? Sin is to miss the mark. If you're shooting at a bullseye and you miss it by just a little bit, you're a sinner. God has given us a list of requirements that brings us to that place of realizing quickly that we're a sinner. I think if we're honest, we would all admit that we're sinners. I've never met somebody that says, you know, I've got sinless perfection down. I've never sinned. And then the scripture tells us, it's God's message, the wages of sin is death. Not just a physical death, but an eternal death, an eternal separation. There's heaven, there's hell. We talked about the resurrection of believers, but there's also the resurrection of unbelievers to eternal torment. God doesn't want anyone to go there. So he sent his son to brutally die upon the cross, rise again, and Jesus is here saying, will you believe in me? Will you trust me? Will you surrender your life to Christ? Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you tired of looking for satisfaction and coming up empty? Are you tired of being your own boss and being your own Lord? I'm not telling you that receiving Christ is gonna make your life easier and better and more comfortable, but what I am telling you is you receiving Christ will determine your eternity and it will transform your life not to be an easy life, but to be a worthwhile life, a life that's impacting eternity. And God loves you. That's what I want you to hear. He loves you. He created you. Take a look at creation and the message that God's giving with creation. He individually engineered you and designed you. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not when we had our act together, not when we were coming to church, but while we were at our worst, he died for us. See, receiving Christ is, is about heaven and hell, but it's more than getting fire insurance. It's being in a relationship with him, saying, Jesus, take control of my life. I'm ready to turn from my sin and allow you to be my savior. And so just a moment, when we pray, I'm gonna ask that you'd stand if you're ready to receive Christ as your savior. If you were to die today, would you be ready? Do you have that assurance through trusting in Christ through salvation? And I believe that God is calling people by name. Why stand? Because Jesus stood on the cross and he was unashamed of you. He was crucified naked upon the cross because he loves you. What are other people gonna think around you? We're gonna be in an attitude of prayer and we're gonna rejoice with you. There's not gonna be a person in here that's like, oh, I, I can't believe they stood to receive Christ as their savior. Maybe you've grown up in the church and you've never received Christ. Growing up in the church cannot save you. Maybe you've never been to church and you're like, I'm surprised that the church has not burned down when I stepped in this morning. God loves you. He wants you to be in a relationship with you. So what's gonna happen when you stand? is I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer and the scripture tells us that when we believe in the heart and confess with the mouth that Jesus Christ rose again and is Lord, we're saved. I'm a simple prayer. I'm gonna lead you in that simple prayer and then you can sit down. It's not a used car salesman gimmick. Once you stand, I'm not gonna say, okay, now that you're standing, come down here to the front and now that you're in the front, go into a room and we're gonna go talk to you privately in a room. What's gonna happen in a room? That's kind of weird. Why are they taking me in a room, right? You stand, I pray with you, you receive Christ as your savior. Then when the service is done, the pastoral team and the ministry team is gonna be down here in the front 
And we've got a Bible. There's Bibles. You can probably see them on the side of the stage and a new believers packet. We want to make sure that you leave with a Bible, that you leave with a new believers packet, and we want to be the first ones to welcome you into the family of God. So as people are leaving, you come forward, you say, I receive Christ as my Savior. I'm ready for a Bible. I'm ready for a new believers packet. So we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to stand and receive Christ as your Savior and profess that Jesus is God, that he died for your sins and rose again. Father, we know that salvation is your work. It's got to be something that you do in the hearts of men and women. So Father, would you speak? Would you call people by name? Jesus, would you minister your love to hearts? It's your kindness that leads us to repentance. I know that there's some that are wrestling, some that are saying, I, I don't know if I, I should, should respond. God, would you win that battle and would you win that, that war? If you'd like to respond and receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask right now that you just go ahead and stand. People are already beginning to stand. If you're in the upper room or the cafe, please stand. Christ sees you. If you're listening to this message right now on the live stream and you're sitting in your family room, you're sitting in a car listening on your phone, get out of your car right where you're at and stand and pray this prayer, prayer with me. Just one more moment. If you're wrestling with the Lord and you're glued to your seat and you know that your heart's pounding, God's talking to you, Holy Spirit's drawing you, just go ahead and stand, respond to Christ. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Anybody else? For those of you that are standing, pray this prayer with me in your heart. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sin and rose again. I turn away from my sin. I repent and ask you to be the Lord of my life, take control of my life. Thank you for your promise of saving me, of giving me eternal life. Now help me with this new relationship with you. You can be seated, you can have a seat. And Father, as a church family, we rejoice in your work. We give you glory. We pray that you'd bless those that have just received you, that you would walk with them in this new relationship. We thank you, God. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. God's good.